the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. Welcome in to the Rob Black Show. I am Rob Black. I talk all things financial and money. The goal of the show is to get you to retirement. The goal of the show is to show you that the world around you is truly all about money. And the sooner that you see that, the sooner you start getting your your hiney in gear and start saving a little bit more money. I don't want you driving a BMW until you've saved over a million dollars. I don't want you buying a second house in Tahoe until you saved over two million dollars. There's a right time and a right place for spending. Right now, probably not the right time for spending if you don't have ten to forty thousand dollars saved by the age of thirty. If you don't have somewhere between ten and forty thousand dollars saved by the age of thirty, you might be working till the day you die. How's that for a wake up? Wakey wakey, eggs and bakey. I don't know why you say that. It's really weird some of the things that you find yourself uh, repeating in life more than once. For instance. In the morning, I don't jump in the shower. I jump in the shower shower. For some reason, as a kid, couldn't say the word shower. So I developed a phrase, shower shower. Dumb things that we say. That could be the, the goal of the show today. Dumb things that we say. Now, as a kid, and I've mentioned this a little bit recently, when I was in my teenage years, I became fascinated with Dave Letterman. I just, I found him funny. He was a weatherman in L.A., where he would make stuff up. He would say it's it's hailing the size of, you know, softballs. And it wasn't hailing the size of softballs. He would say that, you know, a gorgon is on top of the bridge and, and ripping the city apart. And there really wasn't a gorgon on top of the bridge and ripping the city apart. So I think I developed a sense of humor from watching his late night on NBC show. And uh, it kind of intrigued me, to say the least, as a kid staying up, you know, when you weren't supposed to stay up that late. He's been around for many, 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 many years, since the early 80s. So he's one of those people that, how shall we say, has been around. Now, Dave Letterman could teach us about money. I think you obviously know Jay Leno could teach you about money. Jay Leno and NBC took a huge risk by cutting five primetime hours out of their lineup this year and putting Jay Leno on instead. Let's talk about an apologetic Dave Letterman. He trotted out before the cameras Monday night. He had a quip that raised questions and fetched laughs. He said, there's a possibility I'll be the first talk show host impeached. It's pretty funny. He was able to poke fun at himself for ultimately having multiple love partners. But he wasn't married. Now, whether or not Letterman's going to lose jo- his job, very, very unlikely scenario. Very unlikely scenario. Tied towards the sexual relationships with staff members. The scandal, as well as Conan O'Brien's recent show, Canceling Injury, it's just, you know, you might have heard Conan was doing a skit and basically fell down and went to the hospital. 
it, it's a reminder of how the networks have a lot of money riding on one individual. It's very fragile, very fragile, very fallible individuals. It's a product. Letterman's a product. He's a brand. A lot like Kraft and Oreos and Nabisco. Those are brands that you know, right? Kraft mac and cheese. Better than Safeway mac and cheese in your mind. So these are brands. They're important. They're worth tens of millions of dollars in advertising revenue on a regular basis. It's tied towards their humor. It's tied towards their behavior. It's tied towards their health. A lot of loyal audiences and relatively cheap per episode costs are what the networks love. You have a loyal audience. You have people that, you know, made babies because Carson, Johnny Carson, you know. Johnny Carson was there for 10, 20, 30 years, and we knew him, and we loved him, and we were comfortable with him. That's loyalty. No one was able to compete with Carson for such a long time. So the networks love that these late-night shows have loyal audiences, and ultimately they're pretty cheap. So they're huge profit centers for the networks who are all ailing and hurting. They're all ailing and hurting. Now, Late Show with Dave Letterman, it brought in, get this, $188 million in revenue last year. While Leno's show, The Tonight Show, brought in $132 million. It's interesting that you would have thought that Leno, he beats Letterman in the ratings. When did he get more revenue? Not necessarily. Uh, the less watched Late Night with Conan O'Brien, now with Jimmy Fallon, it manages to register about $40 million of advertising for the September to May period. So the, that's that late hour, that 1230 to 1.30, it's well behind. It is well behind uh, the 11.30, 12.30 hour. Now, the host's value, it's typically evidenced by their lengthy contracts. And Letterman, for instance, makes you know millions and millions of dollars. He's the genre's top earner. He pulls down an estimated $32 million a year. $32 million a year for going, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good money. I, I'd, I'd, I'd do that. I'd do that for sure. Now, to protect against poaching or fleeing and perhaps to incentivize responsible behavior, Leno was locked into a long-term contract for the night show that paid him approximately $27 million a year. Conan O'Brien pulled down $14 million a year in this time slot right after him. Not too bad, right? Now, ultimately, in an era of salary slashing and other cost cuts, the network rationale is simple. You know, it's unlike a drama or comedy typically story-driven, ensemble-based cast, the host of a late-night show is the draw. It's the host. You know, at one point in time, every actor on Cheers was making a million dollars an episode. I think all the actors, all the, all the voices on The Simpsons now, the, the main ones are making a million dollars an episode. Isn't that ludicrous? That's just insanity how much we pay. To think, uh, I don't know, Ted Danson worth two, three million dollars an episode? I don't get it. I don't get the... Why America's in love with celebrities and why not give young actors a chance to break in or even different actors a chance to break in now to protect against, you know, that poaching, these guys get huge contracts. So there's no reason to question the reliance on the host as long as the viewer's appetite for them remain ultimately pretty healthy. Keep in mind, there were other personalities who tried talk shows. Pat Sajak. Do you remember Pat Sajak and Magic Johnson or Chevy Chase, Joan Rivers? And they were just awful. They couldn't carry the host chair. So to be able to pull it off and pull in 40 to $80 million in six months, not too shabby. To you know, pull in $140 million a year. You can understand why NBC, ABC, CBS, 
they 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 relish it. They relish it. Now, consider O'Brien's onset injury a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, who would have replaced him? He hit his head while filming a Tonight Show segment. The host was forced to seek treatment. A repeated error later that night. Um, fortunately for O'Brien, NBC, the damage was minimal. He recovered, you know, over the weekend. But think of this. You know, Letterman goes crazy and gets on a, a bell tower and starts shooting people. That's a huge franchise and the damage that it would do. Now, GE owns NBC. So they're just keeping their fingers crossed for a healthy, scandal-free Leno, a healthy, scandal-free Conan. CBS is hoping that, you know, somehow, some way, some shape, some form, that Dave Letterman's able to, to recover from this and, and not lose too much face, so to speak. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-345-5639. Anything you want to talk about, you can pick up the phone, give us a call, 800-345-5639. Anything financial. If you want to throw in a Dave Letterman issue, bring it on. Have you lost faith in Dave Letterman? Have you lost Have you lost credibility? Or do you think, hey, what happens in his bedroom happens in his bedroom and it's none of our damn business? I happen to go along those lines more often than not, except for when you abuse power. That's the one thing I don't like to see. 800-345-5639. And for the record, while in us, I was in high school, I basically wrote half my school yearbook. And also I wrote for the, the newspaper, uh, one of the articles, <laughs> it's funny to think back about that. I should bring them in one day because you'll all laugh at me. You'll all laugh and giggle at me. One of my articles was called, and what about a date? And it was all about how senior girls couldn't get dates for homecoming and prom ultimately because all year long they were dating college boys. And then for the high school prom, you know, college guys don't want to go to the prom and college guys don't really want to go to, uh, you know, homecoming. So the, the article is all about, you know, how senior guys have to go out with sophomores and juniors because the senior girls wouldn't have anything to do with us. And, well, you get the idea. One of my articles that year was also tied towards Dave Letterman and Terry Forster. Terry Forster was a relief pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, and he was just this big, fat guy. And for some reason, that made Letterman giggle. And at one point in time, you know, Forster was asked, you know, Letterman's calling you big, fat tub of goo. And Forster responded and he said, you know, Letterman's not even good enough to be uh, Carson's janitor. And then next thing you know, uh, Forster gets on the Letterman show as a guest and Letterman talks about how he's had the, the, the floor super reinforced with extra steel. And it was a pretty funny little feud. It was one of those feuds that I don't think could happen in this day and age because it, it's almost too petty. It's almost too small. And with so many media outlets, you know, back in the 1980s, we didn't have that many media outlets. So it was a little bit different. But anyway. I got Letterman on the phone and did an interview for my school newspaper with him. I was the coolest kid in the school. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's Brian in Redwood City. Brian? Hey, uh, Rob. Uh, thanks for uh, taking my call. I've got kind of a generic question. Um, um, uh, my mother passed away. Uh, she was receiving an annuity because of her age. And uh, I'm the beneficiary of the annuity. And I'm calling in to the uh, uh, folks that are holding it and asking questions. It's tied directly to the stock market. And my question is whether I take this in a lump sum or I take it in uh, payments going forward. I would check with your accountant. So because ultimately you may have a tax issue on it. Um, I would. Ch- who, who's, who holds the annuity? Uh, Hartford. Hartford. And your mother has passed away, right? Yes. Okay, and that's recent? 
that's the the beginning of the year, February. Okay. And you've talked with Hartford about your options and taxable uh, occurrences. Uh, uh, they're indicating to me they can't. Uh, the, uh, uh, on February, the value was around thirty six, thirty thirty two thousand. Uh, this is February. Right. And uh, the amount that she put in was thirty six thousand. Okay. So that would be untaxable. So that would not, if I took out, if it was at the point of February and I took it all lump sum, I would. They're, they're indicating to me that, that I would receive thirty-two at least on February. Okay. And it would be non-taxable. Why would you not want to take a lump sum? Why would you want it spread out? Um, uh, <laughs> my concern is if it's tied to the stock market. Uh, I honestly don't have a lot of trust in the stock market. Why is that? Um, uh, I, I got a funny feeling the stock market is no different than what's happened with all the banking systems. With all of these phony tradings, it's not based on anything real. It's based on short sells, quick sells, uh, massive people buying in one day, driving something up. Uh, the next day it falls. Have you ever heard of a guy named Warren Buffett? Uh, yes. And what has he done? Uh, he's invested into everything under the sun. And you don't think he, it's real? Um, to, but, His but, billions and billions of dollars that he's worth. You but, don't think that but, that has value? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I don't disagree. Right. But if you start looking at uh, all our banking system, it, to me it doesn't seem like it's much more or better than what's happened because they're not really trading – uh, a tangible thing. Yeah, they are. Absolutely, they are. When you buy a share of a company, you own a, a percentage of the ownership. But but from one day to the next, when a stock jumps sky high, and if they produce three widgets every single day, it can only go up the value of the three widgets. It can't go up the value of 30%, 40%. But if somebody massively does a super trading on it, the next day it's sky high. Or if somebody sells all the stock the following day, it drops like crazy. They're still only worth the three widgets. I don't think I don't get you. Okay, that's what, what, not, a, what, not a good what, analogy. No, what do you believe in? Um, if you don't believe in the stock market and capitalism, what do you believe in? Yeah, well, I'm part of this capitalism. I I, I run my own business, and I don't believe it a lot now. I just uh, I, I'm losing faith. In what the business government. do you What business do you run, Brian? Uh, I have an electrical business. Okay, and you probably have clients, right, that you've been to in the past. Exactly. Now, are they, if I were to buy your company, doesn't your client relationships have some value? Uh, yes, they would. Okay, so same thing with the stock market. You would say, Rob, I want $100,000 because of the goodwill I've set up in my uh, electrician business. And I would say, well, let's, let's look at it. Typically, I'd buy you out for about one and a half times revenue. That's the typical buyout in the world. And you can look at GE and see that they do $10 billion revenue. So you would say the typical buyout of them would be $15 billion. It's it's this it's a pretty simple digestible concept. Yeah, you're picking. You're definitely picking when you say GE. You're picking a top stock. Oh, I, I can pick. Why would you own anything but a top stock? Yeah, yeah. The Fortune 500 is essentially what you're saying. Then I think most people should own mutual funds and Fortune 500 or indexes tied towards capitalism, i.e., you know, a total stock market index. I think when you start buying small companies, you get in way over your head, Brian. You get a bad experience, and then yeah. you have a conspiracy theory like you have. Yeah. No, it's not so much a 
conspiracy. You don't believe in the stock market. That's a conspiracy theory. Well, it's kind of, it's all controlled by uh, the lack of the government or the government. And look where the government is putting us. It's not controlled by the government. When the government controls it, they mess it up. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. When the government gets involved in anything, they mess it up. Anyway. Thanks for the call, Brian. All right. Thank you very um, much. I would take the lump sum. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Are you with on his page? I'd be interested. Do you not believe in capitalism in the stock market? Wow. That one shocked me. Hey, live blog is black. No, the live, bo- blog, blah, 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 live blog is back. It's not black. It's talk910.com, talk910.com. Later in the show, I'm going to have Jeff Lerman. Tomorrow, Kim Commando. Friday, Robert Eiler, super economist from Sonoma State. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. I've got another confession to make. I'm your fool. Everyone's got their chains to break. Holding you. Will you bother confession to make. I'm a New York Yankees fan. I feel bad about that. I grew up overseas and English wasn't my first language. Well, it kind of was, but I didn't live in an English speaking country until I was seven. Um, With that said, I learned English and I learned to read and write in English from reading newspapers. And the best way that I was able to do that was my brother David, also known as Day Day, Day Day Black. David Black, he's a power attorney on the East Coast. He's an ambulance chaser, lives in a small town, Winchester, Virginia, which has a an apple parade every year. And his daughter got to be one of the apple princesses. Love my brother Dave. Good guy. My brother Dave taught me about football. He taught me about baseball. He taught me about sex. My dad was kind of uh, an alcoholic father who, you know, checked out at times, not hardcore binge drinking. You know, he never threw the, the, the booze at the kids. He never hit us or anything. He just didn't really support us emotionally. Um, he didn't nurture us. So David was kind of like my father. And uh, David taught me how to read, you know, by following the Yankees. I had a choice between liking the Yankees and liking the Indians. And as a six-year-old kid, you're like, well, let's let's Yankees beat the Indians in the, the war on the frontier, right? So I went with the Yankees. That's That was my thought pattern. So anyway, I've always followed the Yankees. So the Yankees are getting ready to go into the playoffs right now, and they're going to play Minnesota tonight. And I have a confession. Like, I, I'm starting to like the Giants, but I was raised a Yankee fan. Forgive me. I like the Packers, the Yankees, the San Jose Sharks. Sharks, of which, by the way, I'm going to be talking with Dan Rusnowski. Friday, 11-15 from the Sharks. Now, each home game the Yankees play in 2009 in the Major League Baseball postseason, it's worth $6.7 million to city business. That includes money spent by visiting fans, by players, and media members on hotels, retail, transportation, and dining. If you assume that 34,150 people attend the game who don't live in the city... Now, indirect benefits to New York bring the total economic benefit to about $11.9 million per game. That's one of the reasons I think sports are so important to our society and why, you know, stadiums like uh, AT&T Park are important. I think they're critical. I think, you know, I went to one baseball game this year, probably spent a good probably $200, maybe $250 by all times said and done on parking, 
on food, on tickets, on booze. You know, it's it's pricey. Now, again, the state of California has that 9.5% sales tax. So you can automatically see I pulled in a good, what, $20, $25 for the state right there. So I like the economic stimulus of sports. I like thinking about it. I like thinking about the waitress who, you know, I tipped every time I got a beer and how maybe she's a single mom. I like thinking about how important the economy is and sports are and how they're tied to each other. So when when you hear about a stadium being built, I don't mind that city funds get used or low, low uh, interest rates. I don't mind it at all. I, I encourage it. Hopefully the owner of the team, and did y'all hear Rush Limbaugh might be buying the St. Louis Rams? Doesn't that just make you feel weird? You know, I, I don't like or dislike Rush. I, I've, I'm apathetic. Someone sent me an email yesterday, and you know they're like, hey, why didn't you go after Glenn Beck for losing sponsors? I'm like, I'm apathetic. That's not what I do. I talk money. So anyway, payroll spending in the city of New York, it's going to rise by about 900000 per game, including 260000 for seasonal and contract employees at the stadium. Yankees will play, if they play 11 home games, if they advance all the way to the World Series, and each of the three postseason series went the maximum. Restaurants, hotels, transportation, they all benefit. Employees work more days, not only the day of the game, but in preparation in the breakdown. Yankees tonight will begin a best-of-five division series with the Minnesota Twins, who last night beat the Detroit Tigers 6-5 in 12 innings. If, if that game didn't get you pumped up, if you didn't watch the highlights from that, and if that didn't make it go, this is exciting. Like, I, I hate baseball on one level because there's too many freaking fracking games. Too many games. But it's nice to go to them. It, 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 the statistics of baseball relax me. But I really like the postseason. Postseason is, is what, really what it's all about. So the Yankees tonight going to do it. Um, after making the playoffs for 13 straight years with manager Joe Torre, the Yankees failed to hit the postseason last year. So they went out and spent big bucks. But you could see... You know, they went out and got C.C. Sabathia and A.J. Burnett, $243 million. They gave Mark Shira an eight-year contract worth $180 million. Now, again, you may say that's ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. But that's good tax money. That's really good tax money for the state. Now, the changes resulted uh, for the Yankees in a great season. Tashira tied with the AO with leads and home runs. Sabathia's 19 wins were tied for the most in baseball. So Captain Derek Jeter, he batted 334, his best since 2000. He had 18 home runs, 30 stolen bases. So you could see the direct and indirect impact of sports and how much they economically hit our lives. Hopefully you start seeing everything as a dollar sign, the way I see everything as a dollar sign, that the way it helps economies and or hurts economies. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. If you want to take me to task for liking the Yankees, I understand. I'm not a, a A's fan. I'm probably leaning to the Giants because they got that freak Tim Lincecum. I like watching the freak Tim Lincecum pitch. He's fun. He's youthful. He's energetic. 800-345-5639. Today at 11 o'clock, I'm going to have an attorney in here. You might want to save some of your phone calls for an attorney. You can ask him anything you would ask an attorney. So I'll have him here free for the whole hour from 11 to 12 today. Tomorrow, Kim Commando. Friday, Robert Eiler. Live blog is back. If you go to talk910.com, you can interact with other blackheads there. Call the show 800-345-5639. It's talk910.com. You listen to 910 AM. More stimulating talk. This is 910 AM. People get all bothered about, you know, things that aren't politically correct. I don't have hot buttons. More stimulating talk.
to get your calls there. It's 800 345 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to a phone call. I'm so sorry, people. Clearly, I've got mental issues that I'm trying to work out on air. Let's get a Lars in Walnut Creek. Lars? Hi, Rob. Hey, Lars. I've got a question about people who uh, intentionally don't make their house payments, right? even though they're capable of doing it, and then they go through a short sale. Right. And they have possessions, and it appears that those possessions aren't sold to to help make the payment. Yeah, when you go through a short sale, you don't have to liquidate everything in your life. Now, there's different types of short sales, though, Lars. For instance, there are recourse loans and non-recourse loans. So let's say you bought a house three years ago, and it's the original loan, and you haven't refinanced anything out of it. You haven't taken money out. You can short sell it and sell it for less than what it's worth. Now, prior to 2007, you were going to get hit with a 1099. The government sees anything that you're forgiven in debt as income. For instance, when I was in high college, I got into some credit card debt. Later on, I got it discharged from six thousand, from twelve thousand, all the way down to six thousand. But I got an, a bill from the IRS, a 1099, for basically uh, six thousand dollars, and you know that was. The amount forgiven. So I had to pay $2,000 in taxes that year because that kicked my tax bracket up, as you can imagine. Right. Now, if you take out a refi, you have a recourse loan, and they can go after your house. They can go after your cars, and they can go after your bank accounts. They can sue you. They can put liens on your your income. But if it's a non-recourse, Bush signed something on his way out that basically said through 2012, 2007 through 2012, if you short sell a non-recourse loan – you don't get 1099. You are forgiven on that. And that's only a home. That's not credit card debt. Okay. So if you hear about people doing it, for instance, my producer Heidi, she bought her house as a short sale. And the guy before it, he re- did a big refinance and got a Lexus and got a, you know, all sorts of cool toys. He's going to get hit by the IRS. He will go to jail at some point in time for fraud mm-hmm. uh, because he did a recourse loan. He will get caught. Now, you may not get caught immediately, but you will get caught. Okay. So don't do it. Oh, oh I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Are you thinking about doing it? No, I, no I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm just uh, a little irritated that what some people are doing and, yeah. and um, intentionally not paying off their houses and then walking away. Well, hopefully they put some money down so they had some skin in the game. Yeah. And uh, they're losing that. So hopefully there's some you know, punishment uh, out there for them. And again, if they did a refi... It ain't going to end well for them, and they're just they're being naive and ignorant. Yeah. My other question is, uh, if you know, we taxpayers are bailing some of these people out, why not um, hit them when they become 
retirees and they're they're pulling out social security maybe if if they've been bailed out have them get less social security um run for congress <laughs> so i mean if that if that's your platform i think you'll get some sympathy and you'll get some votes uh-huh. um you know there's no doubt about that and thanks for the call Okay. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Let's talk a little China. Let's talk a little China. Chinese. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jen's now figuring out programming inside of my head. The Chinese consumer, it's under a lot of pressure. Now, with spending sprees on cars, on electronics, on home appliances, on real estate, on restaurants, the typical Chinese citizen, they're expected to lift the global economy out of the recession and help companies around the world prosper. There's a company that reported earnings last night, Yum Brands, which for the record, Yum Brands sponsors the Kentucky Derby. And for me, something just terribly, terribly wrong about Kentucky Fried Chicken sponsoring a horse event. I just don't feel comfortable eating at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, so far, China is working really good for Yum Brands. Yum Brands is a Louisville, Kentucky-based fast food corporation. Yum Brands is KFC. Yum Brands is Pizza Hut. They attributed their better-than-expected earnings yesterday to growth in China. Now, you keep hearing about China and India growing, right? You go, I gotta, I gotta own my, I gotta own myself a Chinese stock. You don't have to own a Chinese stock. Yum Brands opened 267 restaurants, 88 on mainland China from June to September. Company reported sales growth of 11%. It's kind of funny. <laughs> you may not appreciate this, but China's stealing our jobs, but we're exporting crappy food to them, which is actually kind of, I don't know, ironic. Now, with 32% year-over-year operating profit, the Chinese market largely sparked its 15% worldwide operating profit growth. Despite disappointing sales in the United States, uh, profit growth in the United States was up 18% because of falling food prices, but sales weren't very strong. So the sales in China, very strong. Uh, Yum Brands reported earnings per share of 70 cents a share in the third quarter. The company raised their 2009 outlook. Now, again, we're in a recession, right? Or we're coming out of a recession. And they're raising their earnings. That's the type of company you want to say, I want a piece of. Uh, China and Yum Restaurants. They're on track to open over 1,400 international new units this year. They're especially pleased that their China team achieved margins near record levels and that their average unit volumes were up. Mainland China is a focus for the company, clearly. Historically, Yum's China division notched year-over-year system sales of 20% in 2008, 24% in 2007, 23% in 2006. That's not too shabby. Now, the rest of their international market has only averaged 8 to 10%. So China's you can see it. So China's retail sales, which include purchases of cars, purchases of appliances, food, and other goods, and a lot of these are American-made, rose about 15% from August 2008 to August 2009. So we can get mad that jobs are going over there, low-paying manufacturing jobs. But it's extraordinary because they're consumers now. They've got manufacturing jobs, and what they do is, let's go eat uh, you know, the Colonel's secret fried chicken. Secret fried chicken. Um, it reflects the urbanization of China. It reflects the ongoing increase in living standards. So you can play China a lot of ways. I'm not telling you to go out there and buy Yum Brands. I'm saying it should be an option for you. You should be thinking like that. Get your calls on the air. It's 
5639. It's 800 345 5639. Live blogs up. You can go ch- chat with your other blackheads at talk910.com. You're listening 910 AM. More stimulating talk. I'm Rob Black. Black John, Rob Black, talking all things financial, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up next hour, I'm going to have an attorney in studio, Mr. Lerman, Jeffrey Lerman. And we're going to be talking about legal issues. So if you have any legal issues you want to bring up, pick up the phone, give us a call, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Let's go to Andrew in San Francisco. Andrew? Hey, Rob. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just, uh, I had a question for you. I bought a TIC in San Francisco for 208000 a one-bedroom, and I was just curious what you thought about TICs. I'm not a big fan of TICs. In large part, you have to make decisions with other people, and I don't like that. I like making decisions on my own. You may have, let's say you're, you're a tenant in common. Your neighbor who lives next to you he may decide to let's go urinate in the hallway and suddenly the hallway stinks and suddenly you have to figure out how do we change the carpet? How do I tell him that he's urinating in the hallway? I don't like having partners in real estate. I hate it. Um, now I understand why you did it. What about a condo? I don't like condos. I think condos are white trash investments. Who wants to live in a condo? Well, Pe- people, so well, it was either rent forever or buy a TIC. I would prefer you rent forever. So I would prefer that you buy a flat in in San Francisco. I would prefer that you get out of San Francisco and buy a single-family home on the peninsula or in Marin. Um, Now, again, you did it. You're a big boy. You're going to be okay. But let's say the roof starts to fall apart, and one tenant says, well, it's not leaking on me. It's leaking on you. I don't care. So suddenly you have these partners that may not see eye to eye with you. And I just don't like that business relationship. In my investments, in my real estate, I would prefer not to have partners because, quite honestly, I think the world is full of stupid people, and I don't want them as partners. Well, part of, part of why I got this was knowing that I wasn't going to live in San Francisco forever, that I was going to move you know, to the peninsula someplace and, uh, and buy a house one day. But I thought this is a good investment, and I can already rent it for more than my nut. So... I feel like it is maybe a good investment, but maybe you don't, I guess. It's not so much that I don't. It's not that it's not what I would do. So it's it's a pretty big difference. Keep in mind, condos and townhouses in luxury areas are, are typically pretty good investments. People are always going to want to live in San Francisco unless it gets hit by a big earthquake and falls over. But a tenancy in common, it's defined in which, you know, two or more individuals can jointly own property. You probably will be okay. It's not what I would have done, but we can agree to kind of disagree. I think long-term holding periods and no active secondary market is an issue. You got some unique fees that are different from other real estate investments. You got fluctuations in value to to occupancy rates. You got potential for capital calls from investors. Um, you get you know 
tenant quality, you get risk of asset class, you get location risk, you get cash flow risk, potential equity growth risk. And again, it, it'll probably work out for you, but it's not anything that I want to be involved in. And Andrew, when you get a legal nightmare going, you'll call me back and you'll say, oh man, I didn't realize that I was partners with my neighbor. You're basically a partner with your neighbor. We can also do a condo conversion, which is something that we're hoping to get into the lottery to, to win. And if we do that, then the, the value of it goes up substantially. If there's an earthquake, the value goes down substantially. Well, if there's a nuclear strike, the value goes down substantially. There's so many angles here. Don't say if, because if it's, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. I just need to be the rational person in the room. Okay. So, well, and again... The tax, the tax implications are better for me than renting, right? I don't know. I think it's you can probably rent for about a third that you can buy for in the city, but, you know, it, it's, it's if it works out for you, Andrew, it works out for you. I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying it's not what I would do. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the call. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I'm sure Jeffrey Lerman will have something to say about tenants in common. Maybe he'll have some nightmare stories, or maybe he'll have some happily, wonderfully ever after ending stories. Not quite sure. Let's go to Dan in Santa Rosa. Dan? Yes. Hey, Dan. Hey, I got a question for you, Rob. Uh, I'm currently working with a local charity. It's called Catholic Charities up in Santa Rosa, California. Uh, to help me with the modification process on my uh, my home loan, uh, my wife and I basically the height of the market made uh, a home equity line. Took out a home equity line on our house uh, for about a total of one hundred eighty thousand dollars, which we then loaned to two friends in real estate. Bad mistake, obviously. Uh, who made some investments in properties. Since that time, they both have uh, have gone into foreclosure on their own homes and filed bankruptcy. So I have no real possibility of getting that money back. So my question is, how do I go through the modification process with the fact that really my issue is on the second, which is a home equity line, not on my first, which I have no problem uh, paying? You know, but what kind of uh, difficulties is that going to bring me? Let me bring in the attorney on this one. He's going to be coming in ever so slowly. Hey, Jeff, I'm going to pull you in a little bit faster than you're ready. Um, Were you able to hear the caller? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, let me give you my headphones and, and take over this call for me. Okay. You ready there? Okay, I'm here. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I'm currently, I, I, I have a first mortgage with Bank of America, and I have a second home equity line with Bank of America also, which was owned by Countrywide originally. Um, I took the second out about uh, four years ago, 2005, 2006, uh, to make some loans to two personal friends that were in real estate, one in commercial, one in uh, in uh, private real estate, to make uh, investments on properties. Uh, the total of $180,000 is what I took out. My goal was to pay back the home equity line over time and with the monies that they were supposed to pay back to me. Unfortunately, both have gone into foreclosure on their own properties and have filed bankruptcy, and now I have no real possibility of gaining that money back. So I'm working. Uh, I tried to go through Amer- Bank of America. They will not. Uh, they won't help me currently. And so now I'm working with a local uh, group called Catholic Charities, which is a HUD program, and they're trying to uh, work through the process for me. Also representing me to Bank of America. My question is: Is how do I go through this modification process? Being that my problem is really on my second, which is a home equity line, not on my first, which is generally what these programs work with is their first. 
you know, what kind of difficulties is this going to uh, present for me? Well, I, have, uh, I haven't been late yet on any of my payments. None of my payments are late. I've kept current through a 401k loan. I had to take on my work, basically. Right. Well, actually, in terms of a loan mod, and this is sort of a general statement, uh, if you, the ironic uh, a sad reality of these the, uh, these modification programs is that if you're not late yet, it might be difficult for you to get the attention of an overwhelmed uh, loan modification staff uh, to really uh, deal with your problem through those channels. And so uh, if you have the financial wherewithal, your best solution to your problem uh, might be to try to do a consolidation and refinance through somebody else. If not, um, you may need to actually uh, wait until you uh, go late, and then you can start going through the loan mod process. You got to take. It's a complicated uh, decision because yeah. you got to look at your, what your current current credit is and uh, what yeah. what potential adverse impact it could have if you if you do start going late. So, what your question reflects actually is a common problem that a lot of uh, a lot of borrowers who aren't in the situation that the vast majority we hear about on the news are, which are people who have good credit, uh, have a challenge, and what do they do to solve their problem? So yeah. I think you've, you've made some initial right steps in getting some professionals to advise you along, this, uh, along these lines. I think you do need to look at some, uh, some uh, refinance consolidation techniques that are uh, short of loan mod, because I don't think the loan mod... The traditional loan modification uh, strategies uh, are going to provide you the solution that you're thinking of. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate your help. Absolutely. So I, mean, I brought in Jeff Lerman a little bit early. He's going to be in the next hour with us for the whole hour. But, Jeff, that's pretty common. People get in a little bit over their head with real estate sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, I, what you're seeing here is an interesting situation in this economy especially because you've got this whole group of uh, homeowners and property owners that uh, are uh, are are the focus of a lot of these relief efforts, but then you have this whole other group of property owners who are a lot of times the same mom and pop uh, people who own their own homes, but also are are uh, the smaller investors, the one to four unit investors, and quite frankly, those are the ones who accounted for a big part of this last economy. Uh, upswing. And those people are being ditched by all of the, both the last administration and this administration. And those are the people who are really having the challenges. We're going to be bringing back Jeffrey Lerman in the next hour. We're going to be talking real estate. We're going to be talking law. We're going to be talking partners. If you have any questions for Mr. Lerman, pick up the phone. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Don't be shy. It's the Rob Black Show. You're listening to 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.